To all of our canine listeners, woof woof, woof woof woof, bark bark bark. And to all of our humans out there, hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we are your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode, we'll focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod, or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. All right, Kyle, you got a new bracket. And along with the new bracket comes a brand new tiebreaker. First time caller, long time listener, my girlfriend, Nina. Nina, how's it going? It's going great. Happy to be here. Super excited. I've been wanting to do this for a while. Yeah, she's been bugging me pretty much since we even began talking about starting this podcast. So I'm glad that we can finally get her on during this specific bracket, which definitely uh, is right up her alley. I feel you. I feel you. I'm glad that we are picking something a little bit more um, universally relatable this week. Last episode, we kind of alienated some of our East Coast audience by choosing a Southern California park to talk about, but we got something with some mass appeal this week, so I'm excited to get into it. But before we do, let's, of course, talk about our spoonfuls of sugar we got going today. So Kyle, what do you got? I am drinking something that is called the Neverland Tea. This can be found at the former Cove Bar in DCA, now the Lamplight Lounge. It is essentially a Long Island iced tea, um, except it has a little bit of Midori in it just to make it extra dangerous. And I'm drinking it in honor of one of our contestants in our bracket of 16. Uh, And I will bring that back up once we introduce the bracket. But Chris, what are you drinking over there? I actually am drinking something that one of our listeners suggested. Oh. This suggestion came from Tess, who I think we can call her a friend of the show at this point. Friend of the show, Tess. Yeah, she's a friend of the show. Um, so this last week was pumpkin spice latte season beginning, and uh, she suggested a PSL with a twist okay. to make it Disney-inspired. Okay. Apparently, this is a drink recipe that came from a Orange County area Starbucks barista, and that barista calls it the Cinderella. So it has half pumpkin spice latte pumps and half white mocha pumps. And I guess that probably is in reference to her being in a pumpkin on the way to the ball and the carriage turns white. (laughs) I think that's what that is. Yeah, must be. That's why it makes it a Cinderella. So I went down to the Starbs, which there's one on pretty much every corner in Manhattan. So got me one of those and topped it off with a little bit of, little bit of rum, a little spiced rum to give it a little bit of extra spice. I like that. I like that a lot. You're really uh, getting into the fall spirit here at the very end of August. I can dig it. Hey, temperature dropped like 10 degrees last week in new york so we're we're living in like the 80s right now Humidity's kind of going in and out and i'm wearing a hoodie in my apartment right now recording this podcast so bring on the fall baby i love it i love it okay so nina what do you got i have a drink that's available at the carthay lounge is that correct mm-hmm. carthay circle 
Um, the Tequila Daisy, which I have renamed uh, the Tequila DeVille for today. And so there's tequila, obviously, some violet liqueur, triple sec, um, egg whites for some foam, um, and agave syrup. Yummy. We're getting classy on this end, apparently. Chris, as of this recording, D23 just passed this past weekend. Lots came out of it. We were texting throughout the entire weekend about things they were announcing from Disney Plus to the park stuff. Uh, we obviously don't have enough time to dive into all of it, but I would like to know what is your one f absolute favorite thing to come out of D23? Well, I would say that my favorite thing to come out of D23 is all of the drama surrounding the lines and people lining up early and having to stand on Catella. But I don't think that's what you mean. <laughs> um, I'm a parks guy. You're a parks guy. We're parks guys. Yep. So obviously that's always the panel that I'm most looking forward to at D23. And this is something that I think we all kind of expected. And it was the announcement of many, many different renovation projects at Epcot Center at Walt Disney World. Walt Disney World is a resort that I've frequently visited more often since moving to the East Coast. And so I've been to Epcot twice in the past year. Hmm. Both times there, definitely noticeable that the place needs a little bit of updating. That's not to say I think that it's a bad park. I think that this could be the beginning of a new golden age for Epcot because it's so focused on world cultures, which are extremely popular right now. People love traveling. People love trying new things. And honestly, it's a great place to try a bunch of different types of food you've never tried before, a bunch of different drinks you never tried before. And some places, it, it's quaint and nice and can be slow in certain nooks and crannies um, out in the World Showcase pavilions. So I'm really looking forward to that part getting a lot of attention. They announced the Cherry Tree Lane section being added to the London Pavilion. So we'll get some Mary Poppins theming there. We don't really know for sure what the experience is going to look like. Is it going to be a ride? If it is a ride, it's probably going to be a spinner. So I'm thinking something very similar to the Inside Out ride that recently was placed at California Adventure. But they also have a Moana water walkthrough exhibit um, that they're going to have in, I think, the Future World section of Epcot, which I think will be cool for pictures and just to walk around in. I love atmospheric things like that in these parks. Sometimes that can get overlooked and a lot of people can get hung up on, give me big rides, give me fast rides, give me e-tickets, when the thing that makes Disney Parks so special is the attention to detail. So I was pretty stoked on a lot of these smaller things being added to Epcot, got a new logo, and I think it's about to be a really exciting time for that park. Kyle, what do you got for me? Yeah, so I'm obviously really excited for all of the changes to Epcot, including uh, 17 Cherry Tree Lane, because I am a very big Poppins fan, and I think that's really cool. But what I'm most excited for is this Frozen ride that is heading over to Hong Kong that they've named Wandering Oaken's Sliding Slates. And it's very uh, Matterhorn-esque, where you're going to be 
kind of traveling in and out through this mountain where uh, Wandering Oaken's sauna is at the very base of. And uh, it just looks cool. It's, it gives me a reason to head on out to Hong Kong Disneyland to check that out, to check out their new revamped castle, this like mega castle that's supposed to be combining all elements of all of the other castles and just be this massive thing. Because what people might not know is that Hong Kong Disneyland is a very, very close replica to the Anaheim Disneyland, including its castle. And so its castle is extremely small compared to every other castle that's been built post-Disneyland. So, uh, yeah, I think I'm really excited for this Frozen ride. I'm really excited for Frozen 2, and I think that uh, this was a very chaotic but exciting D23 Expo. All right, let's get down to business. We got a new bracket, new genre. We're going to announce it right now. So let me get those drums. This episode's bracket will be Best Disney Dog. Oh, ho, 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 ho. All my dog people. We got a lot of dogs to choose from. Some of these might be dogs that you have forgotten about. Might not be super obvious to some of you, but I can guarantee you will have thoughts on it once we read off all of these names. And of course, just like always, we did ask a very specific demographic at the Disney parks to provide their input for this bracket. And this bracket's demographic was parents with kids on leashes, which is pretty fitting for the dog bracket. These parents know a little bit about uh, walking their their pets, so to say. Uh, and in this case, it's their kids at Disneyland. And I just want to provide a disclaimer. This podcast does not condemn parents who may have children on leashes. I understand Disneyland's a busy park. You need to keep your kids close by. Some kids have problems running away and such, but we thought it was appropriate for this bracket. And you know what? They all had thoughts, and we got a pretty good bracket out of them. So, Yeah, you're right. We did get a pretty good uh, bracket out of them. Nina, were you ever held on a leash when you were a kid? No, I don't. I don't think I was. I think I uh, safety first. I stuck around with mom. <laughs> All right. Well, good. Chris, were you? No, no. I was. A, I was a very scared child. Uh, I'm still a scared child, honestly. But yeah, same. I was like hanging onto my dad's leg at all times when we were in crowded amusement parks. Yeah, I was never held on a leash either. Um, like you, I was a very timid and afraid young child. So guess we were all uh, not part of this demographic. Our, our parents would not have contributed dogs to this list. However, some did, and we have 16 of them. But before we get to them, we have a few that missed the dance. And the first one, which is already going to break Nina's heart from the beginning, is Little Brother from Mulan. Little Brother didn't quite make the dance because Little Brother doesn't quite do anything, people. He's a good boy. Sure, he's a good boy, but he, he, all he does is chase a bone and feed the chickens unknowingly. It's very important. <laughs> sure. But uh, he, it, there's so many other dogs, and I think that these parents with kids on leashes recognize that. Yeah, I mean, I can understand why people would think that Little Brother is a good addition to this bracket. He is in a pretty crucial setup scene for Mulan's character at the beginning of the movie but yeah other than that he doesn't really do a whole lot and there just 
aren't a whole lot of opportunities for him to display his good boyness throughout the film. So, another dog just missing the dance, ironically, from the movie Cinderella, is Bruno. And Bruno is clutch, in a way, when he... I think he, like, brings the key up to Cinderella's room or something like that, and he's able to free her when the um, prince or his his boy is there trying on the class slippers with the stepsisters. And so that is a very clutch moment. But for the most part, Bruno's character is defined as being like extremely lazy and kind of unaware of what's going on. He's got like droopy eyes and just kind of like, (laughs) so uh, yeah, probably not a great dog, but I will say he was definitely an X factor in Cinderella. So those were the couple that missed the dance, but there were 16 that are very much in it. Cue the dramatic music. And let's start off with the number one seed, the dog we all know and love. It is Pluto. Coming in at number two, a dynamic doggy duo, Pongo and Perdita. I'm crying already thinking about the number three seed. It's Old Yeller. Don't trip when we tell you the number four seed from Peter Pan, it's Nana. Merry Christmas, coming in at the fifth seed is Lady from Lady and the Tramp. Coming in at number five, he's a scoundrel, Tramp. There were a lot of human children riding the bench that year, but there was a dog who started. Coming in at number seven is Airbud. Coming in at number eight, Squirrel? Nope, Doug. Coming in at number nine, he's quite super, It's Bolt. Don't leave him behind. Coming in at number 10, from Homeward Bound, Shadow. Dogs rule and cats drool. Coming in at number 11 is Chance, from the Homeward Bound. Golly, Bob House. (laughs) Coming in at number 12, from Toy Story, Slinky Dog. He's a dog that we will always remember. Coming in at number 13, it's Dante from Coco. Coming in at number 14, he's a hound dog. From Fox and the Hound, Copper. He's just a little bit hairy and slobbery. Coming in at number 15 is Max from The Little Mermaid. And last, but certainly not least, coming in at number 16 and rounding out the bracket is... (laughs) Goofy. Oh, nailed it. All right, that's a pretty powerful round of 16 there. Nina, what are your immediate and initial thoughts after hearing... 16 dogs read off. There were some in there that I hadn't heard of in a long time and I totally forgot about them and some who I love very dearly. So I'm a little nervous. I'm excited. Yeah, Chris, I think our arguments are going to really have to be solid on this one, especially if we're arguing for a dog that Nina doesn't quite remember. You know what? I've done all my doggy research, so I am ready to go. Great. Then let's do it. The first matchup is number one Pluto versus number 16 Goofy. Now these dogs essentially exist in the same universe, but as we all know, Goofy's the one that can talk and walk around and act like a human and Pluto cannot. As far as doggy dumb goes, I think that the, the gooder boy is Pluto. I think that there's plenty of episodes in which Pluto is just trying to live his best dog life and people are just bugging him and bugging him and he still is able to be a kind, gentle beast 
Well, you have Goofy on the other end who is trying to be more man than dog, and I think that he somehow snuck into this bracket, and I think that Pluto is the better dog. Pluto moves on for me. Yeah, Kyle, I think that's going to be a topic that comes up a lot throughout some of these matchups is some of these dogs are kind of like anthropomorphic dogs where they take on human traits, and some of them are just kind of straight dogs. And so I think we're going to have to kind of debate on whether or not being a human that looks like a dog makes them a good dog. Um, I think that argument aside, Pluto still wins here just because Pluto is always positioned as Mickey's dog and he's his best buddy. He's his number two and Goofy's kind of uh, a dum-dum and he's kind of an idiot. He does have a really big heart, which is something that makes for a good dog. But, um, yeah, I think I I definitely am going Pluto here. But, honestly, I am surprised Goofy was, was way down at 16 uh, at first because, just you know, he's one of the Fab Five. But, yeah, honestly, not a great dog. I think that within this demographic that our interns went down to, to interview, they don't quite think goofy as dog immediately it's only when they're thinking uh when they see him in a lineup with the others right i think that when when our interns went up and said hey like uh we noticed you have a kid on a leash you must appreciate dogs who would you rank in your top 16 goofy fell towards the bottom because he's not the kind of quintessential dog that we all know and love however i will tell you that in uh goofy canon Here's Kyle doing the Chris part where I bring in some sort of like backstory, which yeah, isn't the really goofy a backstory. Yeah, the cinematic universe, of course. Right, of course. In one of the newer Mickey Mouse shorts, uh, Pluto and Goofy compete to be Mickey's better dog. That's weird. Which is I don't it, like that. It was Do not like that at all. It was very weird. I'm gonna have to send you a link after this. Everyone, go Google it. It's one of the newer Mickey shorts. Um, only because Goofy is more of a kind of like a homeless like vagabond in this in these newer shorts and so he sees a a quick way to get food which is to act and be like a dog and mickey will feed him treats it's a bizarre episode but uh it took him what 85 years to figure out that he's a dog and he can get treats i don't know bad dog don't like that definitely do not like that so 100 percent pluto is advancing here Okay, moving down the list, we have number eight, Doug, from Up, versus number nine, Bolt, the title character from Bolt. Bolt is kind of a forgotten Disney movie. It kind of came out at a time that was like pre-new Disney animation revival. I, I believe it was before Tangled. It was certainly before Frozen. So it was still kind of on the heels of those mostly missable Disney animation movies. So it's a movie I did not see when it came out, um, but it's one I'm familiar with now. Doug is a sidekick character in Up. And while for the most part, I think the sidekick character suits a dog, I don't think Doug does a whole lot in Up. And he basically just, hangs around while the other two characters go about on their adventure and he doesn't really come in clutch with a lot of huge like day saving moments and Bolt his entire character is saving the day he's a lot like Lassie in that way and it's funny because he 
is a movie dog or a TV dog. He's an actor dog. Um, but he just wants to play with Penny, who is his owner on screen in his make-believe movie or TV show. I think it's a TV show, right? That he's in? Yep, TV show. I think that makes him a good dog. He's super protective of Penny, and he thinks that uh, like reality is still the TV show, and so like when they're playing together in their free time, he still kind of like protects her. And then at the end of the movie, she is falls down in the midst of uh, a fire on the soundstage and she literally is about to die and then he saves her by barking into the air conditioner which total clutch dog move total clutch dog move really good boy and he spends the entire movie basically trying to get back to her because he falls into a box and ends up in new york city and then really his entire goal is to just be with his master which is something that a really really good dog would do and doug's just kind of running around there on the side just going with the flow which i mean i guess that's a kind of a good dog thing as well but uh you know in addition to all those other things bolt i think has a more cuddly dog design. He's like a sweet little puppy boy. Ears up. Love a good ears up dog. Love a good all white dog as well. So uh, yeah, I'm I'm going Bolt here. Where I struggled in our research with this is that both are very loyal dogs. You have Bolt who is extremely loyal to Penny, who even when he gets lost, his number one objective is to get back to Penny. And then you have Doug who meets Russell and Carl for the very first time and immediately becomes loyal to them as they adopt him into their little traveling group on this adventure, right? Yeah. So where it really comes down to it for me is how these dogs impact the story. And so in Bolt, Bolt saves Penny uh and realizes that even though he's just a normal dog and he's not a uh, superhero dog as he always thought he was, he can he he learned that he can use this super bark uh, power by barking through the air conditioning vent and alerting firefighters to where they were. Like that's a that's like a like you said that's a number one dog trick, right? Like you hear about these like catastrophic earthquakes. And how, like, people are rescued from rubble because dogs are barking and, like, alerting rescue crews to where uh, people are, like, buried and stuff. This is, like, quintessential dog. Like, this is incredible. Um, And Up, essentially what happens at the very end is, like, the entire... Doug is quite literally just, like, a side character dog who's there as comic relief, really. Um, Like, his whole shtick is saying things out loud that a dog is thinking which is great it makes him like a very uh, authentic dog but at the very end uh he essentially takes down the alpha dog in this dog pack that also have the the talking boxes uh with his own cone of shame and he becomes like the dog's leaders which has like it that it does not matter. <laughs> it does not matter at that point. It's super silly. So from the beginning, I had uh, Bolt moving on for me as well. But the entire time, Nina was shaking her head. Nina, what's going on over there? I really like Doug a lot. And he kind of... So talking about saving people, I haven't seen Bolt in a minute. Um, so I think it's fair to say like he is a, he's the dog that would make the newspaper, right? 
Um, but in Up, you have like the cur- curmudgeonly old man who like is super done with everything. And the moment where he turns around is Doug waiting under the stairs for him even after he yelled at him. And that's just like such a dog thing. Like they love you no matter what. Yeah, I mean, yeah, sure. Um, that that would have played well if this was a tie. I know. However, That's fine. I'll stick Chris and I are moving Bolt on to the next round. I waited under the stairs. Bolt up, baby, you. bolt up. Yep, bolt up, baby, bolt up. The next matchup we're going to get through here is number four, Nana, versus number 13, Dante. I'm drinking a Neverland tea. Because Nana is from Peter Pan. I told you I would come back to it. Here I am coming back to it. Dante is fun because Dante is a the silliest dog. I think un- what he suffers from is he came very soon after Gerald in Finding Dory. They're like... They're like modeled after each other, right? Like they're just like derpy animals. Yes, exactly. And so like the shtick of this like derpy dog was cute and it was fun. And I was worried because at first we had Gerald from Finding Dory, who was this derpy seal who was incredibly funny. I thought that was a great little shtick and a great little bit. And then we had Hey Hey in Moana, and I was like all Another right. derpy animal. Derpy animal. It's kind of funny still, a little bit funny. And then when Dante showed up in Coco, I was like, oh, no. Here's the new trend. It's going to be like these derpy sidekicks. Um, Dante is is redeemed in the end, obviously. He becomes this, like, spirit watchdog uh, for Miguel. For me personally, what puts Nana above is that Nana has the, like, the dog instinct of, like, taking care of their owner and, like, being man's best friend. Like, Nana is the babysitter. Nana is literally the darling's babysitter because the darlings go out on date night and they're like, oh, Nana's going to watch you, whatever. And she has the bonnet, like, she's a maid, and she's tucking them into bed and picking up after them. And, man, if Nana made it into Neverland... That story would have been so different, and she she was about to if she wasn't on a leash like all the kids of the parents that we surveyed. But I think that in, even in just the, the snippet that we saw Nana at the very beginning of Peter Pan, you got the sense that this was a good dog. And Dante, while I'm sure Dante's a good dog, and he, he was a dog of circumstance. He's redeemed at the end because he ended up in the this land of the dead, um... And becomes the spiritual pup. Um, but for me, it's Nana moving on. Chris, what you got? I do not like Coco. I have made that very, very apparent on this podcast. But I'm not afraid to admit when certain parts of the movie do work. right? And one of the things that works well for me is Dante. I do think he's a good sidekick. I do think he's a good dog. I agree with your criticism that he's another derpy sidekick in a long string of derpy sidekicks but I think he does serve a little bit more of a purpose he is Miguel's guardian and he undergoes this transformation so to speak and he uh, 
achieves guardian status at the end of the movie, and I believe there's a scene where he saves Miguel, so that makes for a good dog, as we've mentioned before with Coco. So I, I understand why Nana could get some love here, but I just there's just not enough of her in the movie for me to say she's better than Dante. All right, well, judging by the largest fist pump that I've ever seen in my life, I think I know which way Nina's leaning for this one. Nina, you are the tiebreaker. What you got? All right, well, this one's real easy for me. Um, first of all, Dante is Miguel's alibrije. So he's like guardian throughout the movie. He's supposed to be that like the entire time, but he's kind of like, shall I say, the underdog, because I'm pretty sure Miguel's grandma does not like this dog because he's kind of a scroungy little hairless dog. Um, I hear the the gooby dog or gooby character, gooby animals in, in movies thing being a trend. I love it also. Um, so I love Dante. I forgot there was even a dog in Peter Pan, to be honest. I do want to provide another note on Dante. A lot of these dogs are kind of generic dog figures, but Dante is a very specific type of dog breed, and it is authentic to the movie because the movie takes place in Mexico, and Dante is a Mexican hairless dog, uh, which I really appreciate about his character. And I'm going to try to pronounce the breed. Sholoitzquintli? Sure. Everyone, please write in and let us know how you're supposed to pronounce it. I don't know. I think we might have bungled it. Next up, we have number five, Lady, from Lady and the Tramp, versus number 12, Slinky Dog, a.k.a. Slink, from the Toy Story series. Now, Lady is a title character, and she does serve a very, very important part of the plot of Lady and the Tramp. She's certainly a main character, but I think this is another one of those cases where she kind of assumes too much agency and you lose her sense of dogginess. Now, her owners are present in the movie um, and yeah, I guess in that way you kind of do get her as a dog a little bit, but most of the plot around the movie centers around her relationship with Tramp and her just kind of being sad that she's been replaced by a baby. She is a victim of bullying from uh, one of her owner's sisters and she gets a muzzle put on her and yeah, that's really terrible and nothing about that makes her a bad dog by any means, but she doesn't have a whole lot of good dog moments in the movie especially when compared to slinky dog who is woody's right hand man he's his number two um he in the first movie is the only toy that defends woody when the rest of the toys are like oh woody threw buzz out the window he we don't like woody slinks always kind of gives woody the benefit of the doubt when woody is shouting across the driveway at the other toys and being like, oh, like, it's me and Buzz, like, we're fine. And then he, like, he, like, takes the Buzz arm and has it, and all the other toys are like, ah! <laughs> <laughs> They all, like, walk away, and they, like, leave Woody behind, and then, like, Slink's still there, like, looking at him all sad. Um, so 
that makes for a good dog. And then in the finale of the movie, um, Woody hops on the RC car and it's Slink who is there holding onto that RC car, getting stretched out as far as he possibly can, trying to get Woody back into the truck, even though the other toys are still like, you know what? He's a bad guy. Let him go. So that's just extremely noble. And throughout the Toy Story franchise, Slinky is used as kind of a Swiss army knife. Um, If they need to get bungeed on top of something, across something, he is extremely resourceful, which definitely makes for a good dog. And unfortunately, Toy Story 4 completely ignores Slinky as a character, which is another thing I really don't like about Toy Story because Toy Story 4 because I think Slinky is a good character and he's a good addition to that like Toy Story um, ensemble. So I like Slinky a lot, honestly, and I definitely like him more than Lady, so I am advancing Slinky Dog. I'm with you. And my argument for Slink this time was going to be Slink is so loyal to Woody as a dog that that end scene of him stretching for his life to hold on to Woody and RC car and Buzz is like quintessential dog. Like if any dog could stretch like that, they would. Slink has that power and he's not sitting around on it. So we are moving Slink on to the next round. Well, golly, Bob, howdy. <laughs> golly, Bob, howdy. All right. The next one up is the number two versus the number 15 all the way over on the other side of the bracket. Number two, Pongo and Perdita, the tag team versus Max from The Little Mermaid. I think if anyone's listened to the show already, go ahead and listen back to episode one and two of uh, this podcast where we talk Disney heroes because Pongo and Perdita are heroes, right? They are heroes. Their puppies get taken by Cruella DeVille, and they don't sit around and worry and cry and think they're going to come back. They hop into action, they round up a crew, and they make sure those puppies get home, plus 84 other ones. 84! What's what's more dog than accepting new family members? If you've ever been around or you yourself has had a kid, and you have a dog also living in the house, that dog becomes super protective of that newborn, of that kid. They take it in as their own, and they're going to protect it. Pongo Perdita do just that with these 84 other dogs that they take in. They adopt 84 other dogs. Max is just a, a, a goober. Max finds Ariel, so I guess his main contribution to... Uh, the Little Mermaid is that he brings Eric and Ariel together, but I think in the grand scheme of things, Pongo and Perdita are the best dogs, not only because are they super loyal to their owners, so loyal that they recognize that they need each other, but they're loyal to their puppies and to other puppies, which are just the greatest sign of the greatest dogs. So number two, Pongo and Perdita move on for me. Kyle, I hate to break it to you, but your 101 Dalmatians bias is showing. Just a little bit. These are dogs. No question about it. These are two dogs. These are two Dalmatians. We know exactly what kind of breed these dogs are. These are two heroes to an extent. They do go on an adventure. They do save their puppies. And these are two parents. 
Uh, they're very caring, and they look after their own. All extremely respectable traits for a character. But these are dogs we're talking about. We are talking about the best dog. And we have to look at that topic through the lens of the world we live in right now, right? And if we're talking about which dog would I prefer to own as a human being, I would much rather prefer to own Max than Pongo and Perdita. First of all, now I got to take care of 101 Dalmatians. Okay, that's a lot. All right. You already had 15. Were you not okay. tripping about your 15 when they left the house? And you're like, oh, I'm going to wipe my hand clean of these 15 dogs. And then, okay, now I have six times as many. Not chill. Not okay, Pongo. Not okay. All right, let's talk about Max a little bit more. All right, you said all he really does is be a goober. I disagree. Okay. First of all, incredible sense of smell. All dogs do. Okay. That's, that's okay, just that, a dog thing. Okay. That is that is pretty par for the course for this bracket. That is true. But it comes up super clutch at the end of the movie when Eric is about to marry Vanessa, who he thinks is Ariel because all he can hear is the voice, and I guess it kind of looks like her. I don't know. And what does Max do? He's like He, like, growls at her, and he barks because Max knows that that's not Ariel. This is a dog who is looking out for his owner. And then chaos ensues, wackiness, whatever. And then what does Max do when he sees an opening? He bites Vanessa in the butt, okay? This dog is a legit guard dog, attack dog. This is a stud dog. He's also an old English sheepdog, one of my favorite breeds, okay? And I think if not for Max, Eric is probably in some deep trouble. And like you said, he found Ariel at the beginning of the movie and I guess in a roundabout way facilitated the first contact between Ariel and Eric. So I don't really see how Pongo and Perdita can be better doggos in any way. Well, I'm going to... So to counter your point about uh, Max sensing that it was Ursula and Vanessa's body. Perdita does the same thing, except even better. Like, Perdita realizes the minute that Cruella walks into the uh, into the house that is a horrible human being before anyone even knows it. Cruella visits, and Perdita realizes it, and is like, this is, this is the one. This is the one we need to watch out for. So, like, Perdita is, has that same sense that Max did, but she didn't even need smell. She's just a smart dog because Dalmatians is smart, and she just figured it out. Good dog. What did she do about it? She got her goddamn babies back, <laughs> plus 84 other babies that were taken. Not only – so we can put aside the whole, like, uh, you now as an owner have to take care of 84 other dogs. We can put that aside. Because, yeah, that's probably not great. But she helped to rescue all of these other dogs and get them back to safety. And safety just happened to be their home. And now, like, you can't say that Perdita is a bad dog be just because the owners not might not want the dogs. dogs. 
You can't say I'm that. I'm not saying she's a bad dog. I'm saying what did she do to serve her owners? Get the 15 puppies that they wanted back. And by a byproduct, it was the 84. Now, that's up to Jim and whoever to figure out if they want to keep those dogs. And they decided they did. How is that Pong on Perdita's fault? I see this problem as it's a Pongo and Perdita problem, right? And they are trying to get their puppies back for themselves because they miss their children. I don't think it's their fault. And Max's sole purpose in the movie is to protect Prince Eric. And that's what a good dog does. So he has to protect one and the two have to protect 15. Also, he never leaves his side ever. And Pongo and Perdita, they just go, they just go off. They just go away. <laughs> All right. We're at a deadlock here. Nina, who are you going with? Okay, well, I will say that this is a really hard one when I saw that these guys are matched up because there are a lot of parallels between these dogs. Um, They brought their owners together with their lovers. They um, essentially saved saved someone. There's nothing bad about either of these. Yeah, I think I have to agree that, you know... Prince Eric and Ariel would have never met if it hadn't been for Max. You could argue the same thing about Pongo and Perdita's owners, but they did both live in what, like New York and they both had Dalmatians. Like it's bound to happen. Um, and I think I'm going to base my answer on a little bit of bias, but also animal hoarding is not okay. <laughs> so <laughs> Max the little mermaid moves on. Cause I love him. <laughs> this bracket is trash. It's so it's so easy. Just ask yourself, would I rather have one dog or 103 dogs? It's not up to me. That's the, that's the thing. The dog <laughs> that doesn't define yes, a good dog. The dog could yes, have the dog could pop out 12 puppies and I'm not going to be like you're a bad dog. Also, also I'm just remembering. Um Max was stuck on the ship that was sinking that was on fire and Eric instead of being like, "Well, so long, friend, was like, I got to go get my dog. It, it, it is an insight into their backstory because clearly prior to the events of the movie, they must have had an extremely strong connection and they're inseparable. And Eric is extremely reliant on the dog. And I, I respect both of them for that. So I think we got it right here. All right. Next up, we have two golden retrievers going head to head. We've got Airbud versus Shadow from Homeward Bound. This one on the surface seems extremely tough, but once you dig a little bit deeper, I think it's pretty easy. Air Bud is a baller. This dog can play ball, all right? Barkman gets paid. Barkman gets paid. And he helps his owner to win the basketball game or the basketball championship or the kid's name's like Josh or something, right? And, uh... That's awesome. But Shadow is the oldest, wisest, calmest, smartest boy. And Chance is running around all over the place once they get dropped off at the dog farm in the in the first Homeward Bound movie. And he's like, we ought to get back home to Peter. And Chance is like, I do what I want. And Shadow pretty much facilitates the entire journey he evades a mountain lion at one point and saves all of them from 
death, 100%, they would have got eaten by that mountain lion, if not for Shadow. And, yeah, just his motivations in the movie are, are all based on getting back home to his master, getting back home to Peter, you know, protecting him, all that kind of stuff. You know, he also kind of assumes a fatherly-like role to Chance as well. Um, but we can save that for the next round. Airbud causes chaos at the basketball game. At first, he sees the ball bouncing and he goes and chases after it, and like the popcorn goes everywhere, and like the referee like falls on his butt and splits his pants, and there's like a fart sound or something, and uh, it's just wacky. And I think that's kind of a bad dog move. And Shadow doesn't really have any of those moments in Homeward Bound. So Shadow, definitely the better dog in advancing. Yeah, I think that um, while Air Bud gets buckets, Shadow is the more loyal and uh, affectionate boy. And I'm not even going to state any more. I think that Shadow moves on. In this next round, we have... Number three, Old Yeller versus number 14, Coffer. And I think that Old Yeller is as high up as he is is because he is always loyal to his owners. He wasn't the original dog of Arliss. He was a seem-to-be runaway, but his owner allowed Arliss to keep him, and he protected Arliss from bears. He ended up keeping uh, hogs away, but in the attempt of keeping hogs away, he got injured, his leg was, we all assume, broken, and he had to be killed because of that. And that kind of sacrifice and loyalty is why Old Yeller is moving on for me. Yeah, I think this is a little bit of a mismatch here, and Old Yeller is an all-time great dog. Uh, at Disney, outside of Disney, he is a dog with immense name recognition, worldwide appeal, and the ending of his story caused trauma to many millions of school children. And all in all, good dog. Easy for me, old yeller. All right, we finally come to the last matchup of the first round. We have number six, Tramp, versus number 11, Chance, from Homeward Bound. These are actually two very similar dogs. Both of these dogs are kind of bad boy dogs with good hearts deep down. Um, I am going with Tramp over Chance. Like I said, extremely similar, so it's kind of a toss-up, but Tramp does save the baby from the rat. Uh, he's the one that ultimately gets the save, right? And that's a noble deed. Chance is kind of a spaz throughout both of the Homeward Bound movies. Um, at the beginning of Homeward Bound, he constantly makes it known that he doesn't want an owner. He wants to be free and wild, and um, he's often butts heads with Shadow for that reason, who, as we've said, is an extremely good dog. Chance barfs up a wedding cake or something. Yeah. He like <laughs> eats a wedding cake and ruins a wedding. And... The whole movie basically begins because Chance is a bad dog. And yes, by the end of the second Homeward Bound movie, he kind of gets it back together and he does love his owner, Jamie, and he has that moment of realization. But 
just all in all, if I'm thinking about a dog that I want to own, it's probably neither of these dogs, but certainly Tramp more than Chance would cause me a lot less headaches. So going with Tramp. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you on this one. I had uh, Tramp all the way only because, I mean, Chance just ruins everything, right? Like from the very beginning when we're introduced, like you said, he eats the wedding cake. They're forced to run away. Well, they're not forced, but he convinces everybody to run away. Um, and it seems like every preceding movie from The Incredible Journey is because Chance has either this wild idea or he just convinces everybody to go. And that's such a bad dog. And so uh, while Tramp is probably not the greatest dog, he turns into a very good dog. And I think that you're correct. So Tramp needs to move on to the Elite Eight. Well, Kyle, we talked a lot about these dogs, and I told you at the beginning of this episode, there are so many things to talk about with these dogs, unexpectedly in-depth topic, and I don't think we have any more time to go into the next round, so I think we should cap it right here and uh, have our Elite Eight Final Four and our finals in the next episode. So... uh, any thoughts as we wrap up here, Nina or Kyle? Yeah, I think that we definitely got way more in-depth than we thought we would. Um, although you were anticipating it, I think Nina and I were thinking that we were going to blow through this. And we didn't, and I think that's great. I think that's great for our discussions. I think that's great for the show. Um, Nina, as a first-time uh, caller, how uh, has this uh, first episode been for you? Um, This has been a lot of fun. I have a lot of feelings about dogs. And I was actually wondering where Dodger from Oliver and Company, why he never, he didn't make the dance. He's a great one. Ask the parents who keep their kids on leashes. They must not like him. I don't know. I know Oliver and Company was in that weird dark age, but like it's one of my favorites. Yeah, I guess it just wasn't one of the... uh leash family's favorite so all right everybody so we are going to start with the elite eight in the next episode but if you have anything that you would like to get off your chest if you have any comments or suggestions please throw them our way you can reach us at twitter at mouse madness pod or you can send us an email we love our emails at mouse madness podcast at gmail.com We had a lot of fun on this one. We can't wait to figure out who is truly the best Disney dog. For Chris, for Nina, we will see you next time. Alphabet soup.